0: The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, On August 23rd, our full-sized online super series drops with guarantees as high as 1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online super series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room.
1: Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 144 on the OneOuter.com podcast sponsored by America'sCardRoom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group facebook.com groups slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and also via iTunes for free. To send questions in for Alex on a future show, and the best thing to do is email questions at oneouter.com, or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, how are you this Thursday?
2: I'm good, Barry. You uh, you got my dogs just freaking out. They could hear your voice for a second. It just seemed <laughs> they seem bothered now.
1: Oh no, nah, <laughs> they love it. They know it's a Thursday.
2: Nah, they're, they're, they're mosh-pitting or something. Yeah, it's
1: good to be here. Thank yeah. you
2: for having me so, here. So, well.
1: at least we got another two listeners anyway on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, wh- exactly. wh- I mentioned it before we uh, started recording. There seems to be quite a lot of activity on your Twitter and other people retweeting things. You got, um, I think you joined Jonathan Little coaching mm-hmm. and also Tournament Poker Edge. So, You maybe just want to tell people what's been happening the last week and anything you've to announce or talk about.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I've been really lucky uh, with Jonathan Little right now. I'm doing some webinars uh, with him. Uh, What we were doing to start was just webinars where I answered questions and stuff like that, so it was pretty cool. I do some hand history quizzes and stuff like that, too, with his player base it's really nice to connect with them. And uh, tur- Tournament Poker Edge, I'm doing training videos again. So it's been a while since I've done a devoted training video series. Uh, I just did one uh, based on a deep run that I had going on. And uh, I... I just really wish you guys could see this my my dog is using my living room as if it were a skate park <laughs> it's uh I, I'm sorry I know this is horribly unprofessional, but I've never seen anything like this. this is like she she's like doing parkour stuff off of all the couches and stuff yeah any anyhow
1: and my cat does that really up. hard.
2: Oh uh, yeah yeah it was well normally she's kind of entertaining. Carlos and I sometimes just watch her do her parkour stuff, uh, the little one, and laugh about it. But yeah, it's never been this entertaining. Of course, I'm at work when she does it, but uh, a- anywho, yeah. yeah, it's been really, uh, it- it's been really fun doing training videos again, going over a hand history. Uh, I went over a 109, 25K guarantee that I went deep in uh, the other week, and that was my first series. Had a lot of really good hands, had a few non-traditional plays, which I think will be really fun for the audience to look at. And just feels good to be back at work, Barry, just really good to be back on the grind. And uh, I've gotten a lot of support lately, Uh, People telling me, I'm really glad that you decided just to be uh, a professional coach to put your students first. And that's been really nice to get that kind of support because that wasn't really an easy decision. But I I felt as if my students always had to come first in my mind from this point on. So it was very important to me to make that distinction.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to yeah. say, you, so sorry to just cut you off there, go ahead, but go ahead. it was like, um, you know, you've got the time now, I suppose, to do these training videos and also yes. the extra webinars, whereas if you were playing and putting in the hours playing to really make playing worthwhile, then your time's, like you say, we've we we we've all only got the same hours in a day sort of thing, so you do have to sort of pick and choose. And I know there's a school of thought that you've mentioned it yourself. People say, oh, well, you know, if he's not playing it anymore, how can you really coach or you know talk about this and that? Then the other school of thought as well, if you're dedicating yourself to teaching people at poker and you're playing enough to explore your concepts and stuff, like arguably it would make you a better coach because you do have the time and you're not you're not going to then go and win. You know, I'm not saying you're not going you're not going to win, but you know what I mean? It's not like you maybe had a great exactly. a great session the night before and then you're going, oh, I've got students to do the next day and I don't really need the money tonight or something. You know, like, it could probably make people turn up not with their A-game in terms of coaching, whereas if it, if you've made that conscious decision, which you have, that this is what I'm doing, then, you know, you're putting all your efforts into that, which is could only benefit yourself and, and, and your students, you know.
2: Right. And the same people that are talking disdainfully about my choice, these were the same people, when I made why Posagna was right, they made fun of me for saying you could raise from certain sack sizes. And back then it was common wisdom, you can't raise from less than 20 big blinds. I'm sure you heard that, Barry. Everybody heard that. I proved it was wrong. And next year, nobody was doing it. Uh, I proved with uh, my check-raising webinars and donk betting webinars, it was a really good idea to call out of the big blind and fight with people. Now, does anybody fold from the big blind now?
1: No. No,
2: nobody folds from the big blind. So it seems everybody has a lot to say about me as a poker player while they're adapting my moves. So if you didn't think I was that good, you probably should stop listening to me. And I have new plays now that I'm really advocating and I'm working on. I remember people, I could do this for days, talking about all the plays that I suggested that actually have a real basis in thought, but you're going to learn a lot about them in the next couple of months because I have the skeletons of a bunch of new webinars and I've already got all the screenshots and everything. And there's going to be new concepts that everybody are, is going to take from me. I'm not saying what they are now because I want that to be exclusive to my students and my webinar purchasers until everybody's copying it. <laughs> it's, uh it's funny that people could say those kind of belittling comments, and yet I've heard it's the fashion in many card rooms. The myth of poker talent is the it book. It's the it's the album you have to have. It's the it, it's kind of like if you're a poker hipster, you have that right. Mm. And now everybody, the board comes Jack Four Three, and they check raise because. Ah, uh, it's not that likely as the Jack, and uh, if there's a flush out there, we could be representing the flush or the set, maybe even a top pair over playing fast, and yeah, those were my words, I, I was talking about that a lot, mm-hmm. and yeah, so, it's, there, there's a part of me that's felt, obviously there's quite a few thinkers, and no limit hold them, but I know I've had a significant impact on this game. I didn't believe that for a really long time until I just saw a lot of things parroted back at me. I watched other training videos and heard my words verbatim. Uh, so I don't really care what people say anymore. And the other thing that I was thinking is, yeah, I don't have to stop playing poker. Last night I was playing a 10-cent tournament. I almost (laughs) final tabled. Uh, It started with 747 people. I finished 16th. But in the old days, if I was playing a 10-cent tournament, there was always investors would be saying, what are you doing? you got to get back to playing. And then there was a lot of times I'd have a full day of teaching the next day and a lot of... People that wanted me playing more poker would be talking about, you have to play more the night before. And I'd say, no, I want to get a good night's rest because I want to wake up mm-hmm. and teach really well. And it was, no, 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 you got to get to work. And now I can just say, uh, it's, it's on my terms now. So, yeah, I wanted to play a tournament with a 10-cent buy-in for my students, and I did because I was sick to death of hearing, Oh, Alex, your stuff doesn't work in low stakes. You know, I, I love this refrain that everybody does. Oh, it doesn't work in low stakes. All they do is call. And uh, okay, you can use that too. I really wish I was in games where all people did was call. And sure enough, I was working on something else and I had it in the corner and I almost made the final table. So yeah, okay, great. Now I have this hand history to send to them anytime they start talking about that. And I can go, look, I wasn't even paying attention. And I said, I was studying for my uh, driver's permit test last night, Barry. I'm 29 years old.
1: Yeah.
2: It was, (laughs) yeah. So I was doing that and playing a 10-cent tournament. There was a big part of me thinking, I probably should have been doing this at 15, not the 10-cent tournament and studying for your driver's test. But there were no... There were no 10 cent tournaments when we started, if you remember. It was big stakes, $5 tournaments, so it was a little different, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, it's really good just to get all these projects together, uh, just, just be working again. I'm really enjoying, yesterday I worked 12 hours, I don't think I need to work that much, but I did, just because I was really accelerating on a number of projects, and it was uh it's really fun just to create things that are meaningful to me it's uh i I loved playing poker, but it didn't feel like me it It feels like me to write books, write articles uh make videos so that's been really fun and i'm I'm really grateful that uh my player base my my following Uh, allows me to do that I had the thought the other day Barry I was walking around my house and uh, well I haven't I haven't made crap from poker in a while right so uh, I was just looking I I, I was thinking these computers these monitors your students bought them for you this leather jacket your, your students bought them for you These video games, your students bought them for you. They want you to play them so you can relax before you teach them again. Mm -hmm. These books, your your students bought them for you. Uh, All of this is paid for by your students. This group of people, most of whom you've never seen face-to-face, have paid for all of this. And they gladly did it because you're helping them with something they really love to do. And when I had that thought, I started showing up for my for my lessons with a much different attitude. Just say, "Hey, how we doing? Let's get to work. You ready?" Like just way more happy, and way more just tr- really making sure I go that extra mile. Nice comments from you, especially sorry, the Alex, older.
1: You, you cut off there at extra mile. Uh, if you could just repeat oh, it. Oh,
2: it's yeah. okay. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, long story short, I, I feel like my students are really happy now. I'm really happy. I love the relationship we have. They, they, they help me, I help them. And it's, it's really, it's really wild to have that at 29 because everybody I know who's really intelligent, uh, I know a lot of, I'm sure you have this, Barry. You, you and I work for ourselves and we're, we're pretty lucky that we both found fields that we've carved our own niche in. Yeah. But, uh, you probably know a lot of people that are really intelligent where it seems like getting a job is just the whim of what the bosses feel like, or if getting a promotion is what, uh, your higher ups think. And they, it seems like, uh, it seems very unfair sometimes because I meet these people and I go, you're a lot smarter than I am. And you really should be having much more stability in your career than you're having right now. Do you ever get that feeling?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the point is in jobs like that or in situations like that, they, they can work as hard as they can and as hard as they want. But sometimes it just won't be any payoff at all. They get the same, they get the same pay regardless how hard they work. Whereas when you're working, mm. whereas when you're working for yourself, when you work harder, you kind of see the payoff a lot sooner, or or, yeah. or you see it coming down the road at least, or you know it's it's more you sort of see the fruits of your labor. Whereas if someone's on yeah. thirty grand a year, they can turn up and skive and do the bare minimum, they're still going to get the same wages. So there's no incentive to work hard unless you say there really is scope for promotion that they think is realistically going to happen, then they're, they're just going to do the bare I, minimum and kind of be, yeah you know, just coasting and, and nobody really likes that. Well, and
2: it's occurred to me, you always hear uh, businesses say, we want to foster innovation and upward mobility. There's a lot of times a business can't do that mm. because they have one person who's really good at their job, and the person lower on the totem pole is really good at their job, and they just can't afford to train anyone new right now, or the person's not really into it uh, for whatever reason. So a lot of times they're just selling them a bill of goods. So it becomes uh, it becomes in the best interest of everyone to not promote you in certain cases, and for you to just find a. Always oh, the word homeostasis. You just you're not really you're not pushing that hard at your job because really you shouldn't. If you're not going to be rewarded for your labor and they're going to pay you the exact same, it makes logical sense to show in, be perky, get your paycheck, and then move on with your life. Whereas if you just kill yourself every day for a job that's not going to reward you, that makes no sense at all, mm-hmm. and that seems really. It's bizarre to me because it's uh, there's something very fair about my job, which is, and I'm just thrilled by the future. Uh, I I feel like I'm living in the future right now, especially after living in Costa Rica for so long. This feels like the Jetsons uh, coming back to the United States. But my two thousand dollar desktop. Lightning fast when I got it, the best gaming, uh, computer. Used it for all my poker stuff. Well, it, it more or less blew up. I've tried to start it 38 times in the last month and I've gotten it up and running once, thankfully, so I could copy some things. But, uh, I, I started using this $200 laptop that I was just carrying around for writing and my the $200 laptop can run Camtasia, can run Poker Stars, America's Card Room. It can. When I'm in Toronto, I'm not running Poker Stars here. Uh, Skype, uh, all my downloads and stuff, all my all my different scheduling software. Uh, go go to webinar, uh, WebEx, all the. Uh, uh, zoom.us, there it can run everything, and it's like a two hundred dollar laptop. A two hundred dollar laptop in two thousand seventeen is likely a better computer than the best computer I could get four years ago. Yeah. Uh, you can get an Airbnb, practic- like in Las Vegas. You used to, when I came to the city originally, trying to make it, you had to pay absurd fees uh, to. Just live somewhere. Now you can live in somebody's house for twenty-four bucks a night. You can uh, you can get an Uber to go anywhere. Uh, you can create products and have a devoted payment processor that handles everything. The the world is yours. You have so much connection with your clients now, and or uh, even what we're doing right now. Do you remember in old science fiction movies, Barry? when people would have phone calls with video and we would go, oh, that would never happen. That's that's the world right now. Right now, we could have a free phone call across the world mm-hmm. with Skype. And <laughs> it's. I feel like my job has so much potential and I'm so lucky to be at this point in history. And I feel like now that I'm back in the United States, I see most people are not enjoying this technology and making things cheaper you and
1: cut off again there, Alex. After are not. Uh, I don't know if it, it seems to be something on your end. It's it's actually like the mic's muting completely. It's not the connection. Oh here.
2: yeah, oh yeah. It's uh, there's something with this mic. I I kind of, I kind of bonkered it a little bit. I don't know what what happened long story short, all this technology is coming in. I feel like businesses are benefiting from it. I'm benefiting from it. I don't see the average person benefiting from it in their job as much as they could be. But, and that's not that the higher ups are Mm -hmm. holding on to the money or anything. It's just the way business is. It just, I, although I'm sure there's some of that, it's, it, long digressions, but I digress. Let's get into some poker questions. Let's
1: do the questions. And if you cut, yes, if you cut out on them, uh, then I'll, I'll let you know. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, first question is from Richard. Um, we were going to do it last week, but Alex decided to pick the alternative one, so we're doing it this week. Uh, Hi, guys. I watched lots of the WSOP coverage on ESPN. I also followed hand discussions on Twitter. There was a joke that this year is all about blockers. Can you discuss the concept and how much of an impact it really makes and how I can use this concept to improve my game?
2: Well, uh, thank you for your question, uh, Richard. Blockers are certainly... They're important, but... uh, One thing you have to remember with poker is certain things go in and out of style. So, one guy starts talking about this, another guy wants to talk about it, and then eventually you think all of it uh, has to be this one concept. So, one great example of this is, I remember when the word unexploitable was every fourth word in poker. They would say... (laughs) If you move all in, it's unexploitable. Uh, do you remember this barrier? Yeah, well,
1: it was reminding me of the if you you know if you don't raise uh, twenty big blinds or below, if you just shove and stuff, it's unexploitable and all this in certain certain positions and hand ranges, obviously. But
2: right, and there's very simple ways of telling people. Well, this is how I tell off unexploitable, uh, which is shoving 150 big blinds with aces is unexploitable. No, Nobody could exploit you in that spot. Now, is it the best idea? No, it's it's not. To exploit others, you must exploit people yourself. If you guys have heard this before, forgive me, but this is really important because I hear everybody talking about game theory optimal and... For 99% of you, you just want to trick the guy across the table from you. You don't have to balance. Uh, Game theory optimal would be playing rock, paper, scissors and randomizing your inputs. Uh, That would be perfectly random. Uh, Now, if you're playing somebody who keeps throwing rock, you want to make sure you keep throwing paper. So, obviously, actually, the optimal... Frequency would be to throw paper an above-average amount of times for him to never catch on, uh, that you're doing it more but letting him win on occasion. Or if you know he's never going to adjust, just throwing paper consistently. But that will make you exploitable. Uh, If you're always throwing paper, then, yeah, obviously scissors then becomes the correct input on his part. This is the fun part of poker, and it shouldn't just be neutered from your game uh, because so-and-so says what you're doing could possibly be exploited. Now, as far as blockers, it, it's, in, it's important in certain instances, but I, I think, once again, it's one of those ways people can sound really cool when they talk about poker, and I'm not really sure how much it's contributing so a good example of when blockers are really important is if you were doing a 3-bet bluff, like just a pure bluff, like you set the guy up in a situation where he had to 4-bet or fold, having an ace in your hand is pretty tremendous uh, because most combinations that are going to be jamming into you, there's 12 combinations of ace-king, 12 combinations of ace-queen, ace, uh, ace queen. whereas there's only 4 combinations, I mean it's 6 combinations of jacks or something like that. So, taking a bite out of the ace, reducing uh, the combinations by twenty-five percent is actually a pretty big deal. Uh, I think that's right. I'm not. I'm not big on the combinatorics, but yeah, if you have an ace, uh, I think it goes from twelve to nine combos they could possibly have. Anyway, uh, that's pretty big. And when you're four betting, I really like to have the ace blocker because. Generally, most people, you can get people into a five-better-fold situation pretty effectively. And what that means is you four-bet to an amount, they have to five-better-fold. And then their five-betting range, if you're doing this right, it should be like jacks, queens, kings, aces, ace-king, ace-queen suited. And as you can see, having an ace would take a big bite out of that. So it's a little bit more likely they have a ten seven suited that they three-bet you with. So I, I like having an ace blocker for for betting. Uh, interestingly enough, let's say you call out of the big blind and the board comes seven five four. That's my favorite board. If nobody could tell, by the way, uh, it, it's seven five four two diamonds, and you have ace of hearts, ten of clubs. You check to the guy, he bets, you check raise. Here, it's actually not good to have an ace because you're making it less likely he's bet folding with an ace blocker. Uh, Like, it's less likely he has ace-jack, ace-queen, ace-king. These are all hands that, you know, there's 36 combinations of these hands. We want him bet folding all of them. When you have an ace, you just took a lot of those combinations out. Furthermore, if he calls you, your reverse implied odds are pretty severe because if he has ace-seven, ace-five, ace-four, he's probably going to bet call, which means on the turn when you hit the ace, he's made two pair, you've made top pair, you have a big old mass out of position with this large pot. Now, if you had king-queen there, you're not really blocking any of his uh, ace-aces, and it's actually much more likely if you hit the turn that you're good to go for a bet on the turn, bet on the river, because he's probably not raising queen four, for example, uh, or king five offsuit. That just doesn't happen as much. So those are, those are occasions I really pay attention to blockers. And then the other thing, the way to get better at this is to do a lot of multi-street hands. Uh, speaking of projects, I'm doing some videos in relation to the myth of poker talent, and I'm doing a lot of stuff like this, just multi-street analyses, uh, because that's really how I got a lot better at poker, was I did a lot of that. And one thing you can do is just, in the dead cards, you'll have your cards. And if you're ranging the guy, and you find, okay, I'm ranging, uh, I'm. it's really good just to always walk through what hands you're giving the guy. If you give the guy... Uh, a combination that your cards tend to conflict with, it's really good on Flopzilla just to take those cards out of your dead cards section, and then uh, put them back in and see how many combos you removed and reinserted. Re, re and then that'll give you an idea of how big of an effect it can have. You'll see generally it doesn't have too much of an effect, uh, but at the same time, it, when you're blockers are a really big deal when you're playing high stakes and you're really looking for any edge you can find, which is why you hear some of the better players discussing them all the time. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, uh, like it's something you should take note of at the lower stakes, but to be constantly discussing them is a great way of saying, look how good at poker I am. Look how into this game I am. And, when I'm thinking of lower stakes games, when I'm teaching my students that like, there's no blockers lesson. There's no, in a one hour lesson or in a six hour lesson package, it'll come up for how long was that little lesson I just hmm. gave you guys? Five minutes, five
1: minutes, something like that. Yeah.
2: That's, that's about how much blockers come up. And then, you know, there's specific times I'll say, now notice you're blocking here. So that makes it a little better if you want to call here, but that's about it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I, I think, uh, there's, this is something, uh, I've become really, uh, I've become really critical of coaches on lately, which is that you, you go to, you bring your hand history to them and you're hoping that they look for some leaks that you're, you're doing consistently. So hopefully you can get to more final tables. And when they, Look at your hand. When they look at your hand history, it's a very airy, uh, oh, if you look at this, you know, if you see this, that means this and it's that. This is akin to taking a cooking class and having the instructor discuss a uh, garnish for three minutes with a lemon peel when he hasn't told you to what temperature to heat the oven to yet. Uh, You need to know basics. Basics are everything. And it's not basics, it's fundamentals. Uh, John Wooden, the most successful college basketball coach of all time, they would say 85% of their practice was just passing, not turning over the ball, because every turnover is another point in your opponent's pocket, And depending on whatever their average number of points per possession is. Now, poker has much more variance than basketball does turning over possession to your uh, to your opponent could cost you the tournament. So I am all about the fundamentals. Everything is the fundamentals. Keeping the ball in your court. That was, master the flop is a system to keep the ball in your court. Always. To always know what you're trying to accomplish on the flop and doing so with ease. And that is really important to me that you get down those kind of fundamentals in my lessons, because if you don't, all this other is just, <laughs> it's just chasing after the wind. Uh, like it doesn't really help you to know what blockers are. If you can't tell me how often you should be shoving the river for value and picking up that final 28 big blinds in that guy's stack, that's 99% of the game, not uh, right there. So a- anywho, I've, As per usual, I have gone on a rant. Let's go to another question.
1: Okay, and this one is from Jamie. What are some tips you can give for when you lose a large amount of chips early in a tournament, whether it's from an unavoidable cooler or a bad play? If starting stack is, say, 20k and we find ourselves down to 5k and the blinds are only 100, 200, I know play-wise we need to focus on how many big blinds I have. But any other tips for mindset or any other things I can try? Thanks. Uh,
2: well, thank you for your question. I, I think one thing that really helped me is when I started watching hand histories, uh, when I started reviewing quite a few poker players' uh, thoughts and actions, well, one thing I found is the guys who are supposed to be really good often... Uh, just did blatantly bad play. So, uh, if you were ever feeling insecure about yourself as a poker player, you could rest assured some of them were running a teensy bit above expectation. And the other thing that I constantly saw is everybody who won a poker tournament at some point ran into a big hurdle. They lost a ton of chips at the beginning. And then they would rebuild their stack, and usually they'd lose a ton of chips at the final two tables. Almost always there would be one pot where they lost 50% of their chips, 75% of their chips. This didn't happen half the time. It happened almost always. There's a reason we have terminology for when this doesn't happen. When we say a guy went wire to wire, that means he never had this happen. And that's so we have a term for that because that doesn't happen most of the time. In the vast majority of cases, somebody gets, somebody's going to clean your clock at some point. Floyd Mayweather might be the best defensive boxer anybody's seen in 20 years. That doesn't mean he doesn't get punched once in a while. He, you, the reason everybody tunes in to see Floyd Mayweather box is because once a match, he just gets rocked, right? Now he's really good at getting back up and make. I mean, he doesn't fall down, but he 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 he's really good at making sure nobody hurts him after that. But that little bit of excitement is what gets the crowd going. Oh, he might go down this one time, uh, but at the same time, uh, in in uh, poker, it's much much different because you at any time somebody could get lucky, so. The only way I got over this was I eventually played. God, I don't want to know how many hands of poker I've played in the last twelve years, but it, it was, it was up around, it, it was in the millions the last time I checked, and eventually you just realize that this is the course. It, it always happens. You just got to relax with it. It all, it, it always, always happens. Like if you were in Seattle and I told you before, it was August, and I told you, hey, look, it's summer, but this is Seattle. It's really likely if you go outside, it's possible it's going to rain. And you went outside and it started raining, you wouldn't just be pitching a fit. You, you would go, oh, yeah, it's Seattle. Well, this is the same thing. This is poker. And furthermore, this is tournament poker. People do goofy things. Now, if you make a mistake, uh, a lot of people feel like, well, if I blame myself, really hard for the mistake it doesn't matter because at least I'm punishing myself for it no that me uh, in the words of a, a book I was reading the other day don't kid yourself saying you did your best did you do what needed to be done and in this case if you played bad you didn't so now one thing you do have to realize is everybody plays bad right every single person on earth plays bad at some point or another I play bad Barry plays bad you play bad. It's more of a game of how much can you control it. Uh, when I play bad, I make very small mistakes. I make a number of them. I'm not going to lie. I screw up. Every, every time I play poker, I get outplayed. Every time I play poker, I make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But my mistakes are much smaller than most people's. Uh, if I forget an open that would have been a little bit more beneficial than that that really strikes a chord with me, but the average mistake of a tournament professional is calling off 55 big blinds in a pot that they shouldn't have been in in the first place, and they go, yeah, whatever, bro, standard, and they move on. If I ever hear that word standard, I know that guy doesn't have more than two and a half years in poker, almost always. Uh, him and his butthead buddies are going to go broke at some point. And... You need to have the attitude, which, if you want to do this seriously, my thing was when I busted playing bad, I had to go back and hit the books. And, like, every time I play bad like that, just four or six hours on that topic, they said Kobe Bryant one time, uh, he was in Miami. If you guys have heard this anecdote, forgive me. So it's my thing. I tell anecdotes and stories. So, yeah. Uh, but if you've heard it before, sorry. It's just so perfect to explain it. Kobe Bryant is in Miami Beach. If you guys have never been to Miami, it's one of the nicest places in the world to party, right? It, it's beautiful. Little Havana is just happening. Uh, you know, you get your little espresso shot. Uh the women are beautiful. It's so. It's a really nice place to be. And Kobe Bryant, I'm sure he could have been anywhere that night. He missed a game winning jump shot. They said like somebody had to stay with him till two or three in the morning in that arena in Miami because he wouldn't leave the court. He kept shooting. He kept doing that shot again and again and again. And apparently that was something Kobe did all the time. There was uh, there was a rule. When he was in a when he was in Los Angeles, essentially the training facility and this is one of the stories if it's not true it should be uh, it essentially he he was at the training facility for the Los Angeles Lakers and he was not happy about something in the previous game and he was there till four in the morning and there's a rule that two guys have to look after Kobe. There has to be a trainer and there has to be an equipment manager or something, right, just to take care of everything. The, these guys, uh, you know, at some point one of them goes, hey, you know, Kobe, it's, uh, it's four in the morning. He looked the guy dead in the eye and he said, I'm not effing done yet. And that was the only, you know, and he could have said something like, I pay all of your guys' salaries. Sorry, it has to go on this late tonight. But he he couldn't even conceive of that. He just wasn't done. If you want to get really good at Mellem and Holdem, you have to you have to want it. You have to. If you screw up, that's okay. Uh, you you can screw up. You can uh, you can get up in your head. You can scream. You can cry. That's fine. But you can't give up. And giving up takes many forms. Giving up doesn't mean you never play the game again. Giving up means uh, giving up to me is uh, like uh, drug use, uh, alcohol consumption, just uh, uh, just strenuous alcohol consumption, uh, doing things that are not healthy for you. And I don't mean you go out and have a couple beers with your buddies. I I, that's all in good fun. I'm talking about just. What I used to do back in the day, you just you you get tanked as opposed to doing the hard work. And I always thought doing the hard work was going to be much tougher. Or, you know, there's other. Sorry, I I don't mean to backtrack, but there's one way I used to. I see this with a lot of poker tournament players is they just eat a lot after the poker tournament doesn't go well. It's like, well, it's time to pull up at the Golden Corral and uh, loosen my belt buckle. It's uh, everybody's getting the cherry pie and the chicken fried steak, and they're getting the uh, or they're going to McDonald's. I remember one time there was a tournament at the bike, and I went to McDonald's because it was across the street, and I was pretty skinny at this point, actually painfully skinny. I needed to plump up, but I got there and it was just poker players as far as the eye can see, just getting Big Macs and large French fries and stuff like that. It's uh, food is a way you can kill the emotions, and We all do these things to calm overwhelming emotions. We watch television, we smoke pot, when really probably the best way to handle it is just to get back to work. Yesterday I had a lot of anxiety and I worked 12 hours and now I'm super satisfied today because I got a ton of things done that I had on my list. Now maybe I work a lot less today. I feel like I've earned time to relax. And that's what we want to do is if we're going to relax, we need to feel like we earned it. So if you go out to the tournament and you play your best, and I mean you know you played your best, you sweated every decision, you thought through everything, you performed on your convictions, and it doesn't work out, hey, go reward yourself. And I'm not talking food. I'm talking go play KISS mini-golf at the Rio. It's just go have fun, right? Right. Now, if you didn't play up to your standards, go back, you know, and I, I actually love this process, too. I'd be lying if I told you I didn't love this uh, because this is very near and dear to my heart. But go go get a cup of coffee. Go get some water. Go back to your hotel room. Fire up Tournament Poker Edge. Fire up the, uh, the webinar that you got a recording of. Get out your notepad. Get back to it. Look, pull up Card Runner's EV. Pull up Fobzilla, analyze the hand, do it a few different ways. Go through that cup of coffee, stain that notebook paper, never give up. Keep going. And I'm not and if you think it's taken you a long time, guys, I'm not joking. I, I know I can play badass no limit hold 'em now. You don't want me at your poker table ever. Ever. It took me 30,000 hours to get there. It's supposed to be 10,000 hours to find mastery. It took me three times that. So if you feel like it's taken a long time, get in line, okay? And I'm telling you, you can figure it out. If you, I was so stupid about the way I learned how to play poker. I didn't know how to do any of this. Just sheet off my paper, watch my free YouTube videos. Uh, you'll figure it out, I promise you. Just keep, always put in the work. Always expose yourself to players that can teach you well. It'll
1: happen. Okay, and um, we got time for one more? Yeah, we did. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Okay, this one, uh, last question for this episode, and it's from Ian. Hi, I've been thinking about taking a few more swings at higher stakes, both in tournaments and cash games online and live. I'm a recreational player, but I have a separate bankroll. My idea is to have 50 buy-ins for any level I play regularly at cash games, plus 100 buy-ins for any tournament. Anything above that, I've decided recently to take swings at higher stakes, even a few limits higher at cash, for example. So usually I play 1-2, 2-4, and sometimes 3-6, but now I'm looking to take swings at 5-10, as I rarely play 3-6. Would like to hear you guys' thoughts. Thanks. Uh, did, did he say he has a job or not um recreational player so i'm assuming he, he's got a job if he's okay,
2: that. okay. i'm assuming i'm assuming uh, the mike Carroll maxim by the way if you want to talk about original thinkers in poker mike Carroll doesn't get a quarter a tenth of the credit he deserves uh, uh, the number of things i read when I was 16 years old and his little Books that I found at the library that I still use to this day uh, cannot be understated. And one of the things he said, which I forgot and I paid with, was you protect your bankroll into direct proportion to how big it is. So if your bankroll is really small and you can replenish it, who cares? Take a shot. Right? Now, if you're Uh, Alex Fitzgerald, 21 years old in Costa Rica with the Ultra Casa in the private beach, Uh, you probably should protect that bankroll because it's really hard to get to a bankroll that's six figures. And I used to, I was really good at protecting my bankroll on the way up. So when I started playing poker, my buddy said, here, why don't you play on full tilt? I'll send you fifty bucks. That night, I I, uh, I I got lucky in a couple tournaments, and I made thirty dollars profit. And I sent him back that fifty bucks. And I've never deposited on a site. Everything I have is from that thirty dollars. And so I built up from that. And then when I got a few grand, I started doing what I thought was a guarded bankroll. Uh, what that meant was. I wouldn't like it, but if I had to go back to commercial fishing, if I had to go back working some security shifts, I could for a couple months and I could get back a couple grand and I could get back in the game, but I didn't want to do that. So what I would do is if I was playing cash, yeah, I'd have like 40 buy-ins, which meant, but that if I took like a, if I lost like two buy ins, I was off the table and I wasn't playing at that table again, which most guys who do that don't have that discipline. What they'll do is they'll go through seven buy ins, then they'll be devastated, and then four days later, in the midst of their depression, they'll try to get it back again, and then they'll lose another three, and then they'll move back down, and the, those stakes don't feel nearly as exciting anymore, so they, they like, play kind of mediocre, so then they lose a few more buy ins, and now they don't want to play anymore. You can't be, if you're going to be like that, just play the lowest stakes you can stand.
1: Hmm.
2: I love every uh, – <laughs> this is a funny thing. Uh, I I posted on Twitter just as kind of like a fun thing. And just to let people know, like, hey, I'm trying to figure out the lower stakes too with for you guys. Uh, I posted, like, crushing this 10-cent tournament on Twitter, right? And uh, a very high stakes player was like, I too have lots of free time. And I was thinking, it's kind of sad, like once you get to high stakes, you you consider poker work. I was playing, uh, I was teaching uh, my girlfriend and her roommate uh, about cards. And we were playing heads up for nothing, right? Just nothing. I was having a lot of fun with that. A, have you ever played poker for just nothing with family?
1: Yeah. Barry. Yeah. yeah. It's actually it's kind of fun, right? Yeah, it's usually not for nothing. Nothing. It's usually for pride yeah, like or bragging blocks. rights or, no. But I mean, yeah, even if it's not for money, it's you still want to win. You
2: know? Yeah, exactly. Bragging rights, right? Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't let my girlfriend win. Right? <laughs> it was the big thing. It, I couldn't because she would be holding that over on me. She did take me down a huge pot, which was kind of blisteringly hilarious uh which just she she didn't like get lucky or anything she just tricked me right like she checked she checked jam for value with like top pair which obviously most people don't do and i tried to pick her off with second pair or whatever it was and yeah she just crushed me for most of my chips but yeah like i like playing poker uh, pretty much, I can play any poker game and probably have fun with it because I genuinely like games. I just really like solving games. I really like video games. I really like cards. Uh, I love it when Scrabble gets busted out. I've played Scrabble in English and Spanish. Uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, I perform much more, uh, much better in one language. But I, I just love games. And if you just love the game of poker, I think the world's your oyster. It sounds like this, this guy is really thinking about the money. He wants to take a shot because he sees the money going around at 510. He wants to play that. Now, if you see, like, there's just a spot at 510. There's a guy just leaking money. Okay, take the shot, right? But you got to, if you lose a couple buy-ins, and they're ta- I've had it where I'm at a live table and people are taunting me to get me back in the game and I've had to go, I'm outclassed. These guys are better poker players than me. Mm-hmm. Uh I have to leave. And that is the worst feeling in the world, just knowing you got worked over. But it's part of growing up in the game. And I think... It's okay to take a shot occasionally, but I usually don't let my students do it because it never is an occasional thing. <laughs> it always turns into a, well, a habit. I play five. Yeah, it turns into a habit. Like, and then the stakes are, like, two, four is, like, really two, five. Like, there's good money. At two, I never, I, uh, the whole time I was living in South Korea for a year, 90% of my poker play was cash games. And I was making like a really good money uh, back then. And I I had the run of Seoul, which is a first world uh, city. Uh, I got to do the things I wanted. I got to eat out practically every day. I got to travel throughout the country. Uh, I I had a pretty nice condo I was in at the beginning. I eventually got a much more humble place in (laughs) Gangnam. Uh, If you know where that place is now, thanks to that song. But uh, I was playing one, two, and two four. I wasn't playing like five, ten. I, I try, you know. I took shots at five, ten. I never really. That's where all the bosses were playing, right? And I just, I, I accept it. I, I can't. Uh, they're, too, they're, they're too good. Like on a good day, maybe I can play. The, I, I can play them. But guess what? I, I'm not going to gamble on me having a good day. I'm going to gamble on my mechanics. I'm going to gamble on my ability to outsmart the two for. And by the way, sometimes I play 2-5 around the country, just, uh, like, uh, Carlos and I went to, uh, where where the hell were we? Santa Cruz? Was that it? And nearby was San Jose, so we went and played Bay 101, and we played a little 1-2 and 2-5, and then when I was in Pittsburgh for a battle there... uh, these were both places I went for a battle. And then I went to I went to play at the Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh. Like It was just like printing money, some of those low stakes games. And I, I wouldn't even know why you'd want to come out of them. And online, a lot of times 100NL is just so soft and so fun. Uh, I play a lot of 100NL when I'm on the road just to keep sharp. Uh, I like to play Zoom because I can get a ton of hands in. In about an hour, and then I'm like, okay, I'm good, right? Let's go. And uh, I I think uh, I'm not, you know, it's your money, you do what you want. I think it's bad practice to be shot taking. My personal rule when I was wanting to do that, when I was starting out in poker, is 10% of my profits every month went into a swing for the fences fund. Now, I could blow that all in one cash game or what I ended up doing is I was just playing $1 satellites into live events. And yeah, most most of most months it was just like Kino, right? The first couple of months and it didn't work out. Then one month uh, I got to go to Manila for practically free uh, to play a poker tournament. So that was, uh, that was pretty neat. So, and I got to end up, it ended up, Teaching me really good satellite strategy, and I ended up satelliting into most EPTs I played. So that was that was pretty cool. It was, uh, uh, but yeah, I would take like five percent, ten percent of your money, and just say this is my this is my uh, recreational budget, and until next month I
1: do records.
2: I don't have another recreational budget. Now I would go from that point.
1: Yeah. I would say from for moving up just as a rule, like we say, if you've got your rules set out before it and you stick to them, then it's taken out of your hands. You're not making just a rash decision in terms of if you've had a few bad weeks and you want to effectively right. chase it. You know, if your rules are whether it's fifty, a hundred or two hundred or whatever, then as soon as you get to the next amount of buy ins, then you're playing that level and then you might get you know, go on a little heater at the start that gives you a boost to give you a little bit longer to then see if you can make it. But, yeah, I'm with Alex. I wouldn't just go out and... Because it is a very slippery slope. If you if you do that and you get the taste, if you go from playing like 2-4 cash and you go and then play 5-10, and say you have a first... They, it's that old thing. The worst thing that can happen to you maybe is having a great first session. You, know, uh-huh. <laughs> you might make 2-3 thousand in a night and the the rush from that, you could you could then be forever chasing that, and you might have got there properly rolled for it if you just stuck out at your other stakes and put in the hours. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, be careful. Gamble responsibly. So, like, so <laughs> one
2: one last thing I'm gonna say. Well, one, I'm not gonna name names, but. Uh, to that point, that's something I always say in this show, which is the worst thing that could happen to you is taking a shot and having it go well. I think one of the worst things that could ever happen to me was winning a poker tournament really early on that was beyond my scope of... I didn't know how to manage my finances for many, many years, right? Uh, When I was married, my ex-wife was very good with money. I I kind of... we, We built a pretty large estate, uh, and but I, I, was, I wasn't terrific with Monitel just a few years ago. One of the worst things that could have ever happened to me was to win a big tournament, and I knew a lot of people who took shots, and then, sure enough, they won, and it didn't go that well, and then on the flip side of that, what I saw, when I was 18, I told people, I want to be a professional poker player, and people kind of thought I was nuts, because I wasn't even that good. I I, I, I was in little home games. I, I would get my ass stomped a lot of the time. And uh, what ended up happening was I decided the way for me to do that was to play a lot. So I played $5 sit-and-goes. And you would have thought if I told people I wanted to play $5 dollars sit goes and this is what was going to take me pro, mm-hmm. everybody made fun of me. There were no low-stakes pros back then. And everybody, and they would talk about it as if it was below them. And I was starting to make not a ton of money, but I was making okay money. And I'd, I'd try to tell people, like, hey, you know, if you, uh, you know, don't go, go play the big limit game with the high rake down at the casino. Play, play like, these $10 goes online. People just kind of give away their money. And people would just act like it was below them. Like, I'm not going to go grind out $5 sitting goes, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, well, long story short, a year later, I I was traveling to play poker. Like, I didn't have a ton of money, but I was in Manila, I was in Seoul, I was in Dublin for poker. Uh, My apartment was paid for from poker because I got that discipline uh, playing lower stakes. Now, I'm not going to act like I didn't play 80 hours a week every week for a year. Like, I didn't. Like I'm not saying that's normal to happen within a year, but you can grind your way up. It it can happen. Whereas, I think taking shots, it's uh, God, I've just I've seen so many guys move up really quick, and they don't really stay there. A lot of them, some of them do, but not not, most of them. No, and uh, that that really uh, that it just every time I see a really like a 22 year old guy have a ton of success. (laughs) It's funny, a lot of the – they always make fun of these guys that uh, they they win a poker tournament. They go, oh, you know, I'm going to go back to school or, you know, my dad and I are kind of just going to put it in a Roth IRA and I'm going to go back to school. They always make fun of that. And that to me is like, oh, this kid's a genius. <laughs> like This kid is really smart. And when the guy goes, I'm going to go out on the tour, I'm just like, uh-huh. Uh, All right, dude. You know, and I'm honestly like, I genuinely want them to do well. I want them to like have mixed success and then realize, wow, I ran really good in that tournament. Okay, I better put this into a house or some savings or something. And, uh, you know, that girl that I just got married with, maybe I should put something in our kids' college fund right now because who knows how long this is going to go. I I want that to happen, but it it rarely doesn't. So it it rarely does, excuse me. But yeah, anyways, guys. a good
1: uplifting chat today. So yeah. as usual. <laughs> as usual. Yeah. Um Alex, how can people get in touch with you for private coaching, um, your news list, newsletter rather and all your other exciting projects that you've got coming up over the next few weeks and months.
2: If you want to talk to me about lessons, write me at com. I write back to, right now, because I'm a full-time coach, I write back to every email I get. So, yeah, if you guys want to talk about coaching, write in, and we'll discuss some options. We'll discuss what's going on. Uh, and if you want to sign up for my mailing list and get free videos, get free articles, get uh, get all that good stuff, Uh, Go to PokerHeadRush.com. There's a sign-up link just to the right. Uh, It's a butt-ugly site, but I'd check out that site too because there's, if you want to read book reviews or blogs about what it's like living in Bullhead City and strategy articles, they go up there. Uh, Follow me on Twitter, at TheAssassinato. And follow me now on Tournament Poker Edge, where I'm playing, and uh, YouTube, Assassinato Coaching.
1: Okay. Alex, uh, keep your questions coming in for Alex, rather. Questions at oneouter.com on email. We will get them read out on a future show. Alex, thanks again for joining us, and have a good week, and we'll speak to you next week.
0: Cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, on August 23rd, our full-sized online Super Series drops, with guarantees as high as $1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online Super Series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to $140 online poker event with something for everyone it's waiting for you at America's Card Room